Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of What's the Plan? You can find us at whatstheplanmonterey.com. All the episodes going back to the very first one where you can hear us opine about politics and goings-on of Monterey County. I'm Paul Wyant. I'm joined by Mr. Dan Miller, the former editor and contributor of the PG Press and local uh, gadfly. And then, of course, Mark. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if you're really a gadfly. Yeah, it could be worse. I got over my skis on that one. Uh, and then, of course, Mark Carbonero, who's just basically known to everybody. His name precedes himself. He is known on, on the radio for everything. What, what are you most famous for, Mark, would you say? You know, I I, I never can. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just being around for a to, long time. Yeah, I was going to say for pro- surviving radio, yeah, yeah longevity on the Monterey Peninsula. Who else is even close? Yeah, that's longevity. true. Most people on radio have long since retired or gone into some other medium, but Mark stuck it out. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to you know one of these days I'll I'll be like Ed Dickinson, still doing it when I'm eighty something <laughs> years old. Well, because of the, the holiday festivities, we're on the phone. We're kind of all in disparate locations. And Mark will be calling, because we record this on Friday and publish it on Saturday, Mark will be calling a local football game. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that, Mark? Well, see, I'm not calling the game myself. <laughs> I'm just producing I apologize. It. Yeah, it's okay. Um, uh, Tom Coster and Jack Tardu are calling the Palma-Alisal game tonight, which is the Division Three CCS Division Three championship football game at Rabobank Stadium over in Salinas. And they're expecting a... A sellout crowd of six thousand, which wow. is that's that's huge. I mean, uh, for high school football around here, that's really big. That's that's like the kind of crowds they get for high school football in places like Florida Texas. and Ohio, you know, in Texas. Texas, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's going to be big, and that's um, the first time. Now, this is old hat for Palma because the Chieftains have played. I think this is the thirty ninth year in a row that they've made the playoffs, and. I can't remember how many times they've been in championship games, but they've played a fair number of championships. This is the very first time that Al has made it to a championship game. So for them, this is a huge, huge deal for the Trojans. And um, the game uh, the game kicked off, or will it'll kick off at 7 o'clock tonight. And uh, by the time you folks listen to this tomorrow, you can read about it online as to who won. But it should be a good one. Do you... Do you- have any uh, picks for the game, Mark? You know, I would say um, based on experience, I'm going to give, you know, because they've been there before, uh, I'm going to give the edge to Palma, you know. And, and the, you know, you look at their record and you say, well, geez, these guys are um, are five and seven. Well, the reality is they, they should be ten and four because they had to forfeit uh, five games earlier in the year when they discovered that a player – they had an ineligible player, somebody whose paperwork got screwed up, and it made him ineligible. And so the CCS, uh, they said, well, you know, when that happens, any game that that kid played in, you take as a loss. And so they immediately went from 3-2 and two to 0-5. Oh and five. So uh, they've, they've done it, pretty it well. Probably, probably found out he had played in the NFL is my guess. <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. He played in <laughs> the Chicago Palmer's, Bears. Palmer's had a, a, yeah, Palmer's had a history 
over the years, first of all, they have a lot more boys at that school than just about any, I'm sure, than any other school there is. Oh, no, and, no, no. And, they have a, actually, Dan, their enrollment is around 425. That's it. Yeah, but they're all well, guys. I do, I do have to say something about Palma. Did you know their principal or superintendent, what, the president, uh, is Chris Dahlman. He's a former professional football player. He was a professional football player, I think, for the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. And his son, I think, is like the backup center for the Atlanta Falcons. So long, like a very good pedigree with that family. And uh, just a, it's a, so no wonder they're attracting football talent. But but they always have. And um, especially for the, these last two coaches, uh, Steve Carnazzo, who's been the head coach since, I believe, 2000, or Jeff Carnazzo, that is, and before him, Norm Costa, who was coach for 20 years. And it was really Norm Costa, starting in the late 70s, that started the, the Palma uh, dynasty of you know winning lots of games and winning championships and it's continued and recruiting and well that's what they say that they that they do but you know they have 400 kids and it's all boys and you're right about that it's you know but if you look at like a lot of high schools that have 1500 or 2000 or in the case of Salinas almost 3000 students well, 50% of the, the student body is going to be uh, male, right? So they're competing against schools that oftentimes will have 700 or 1,000, or in the case of Salinas, maybe 1,500 boys to fill out uh, you know, football rosters. And, and, of course, in all the sports, guys, as you know, in football, it's a numbers game. The more kids you have, the more kids that, that, that try out, the better your chances of having success. One of the reasons why Pacific Grove – you know, even though they'll have a decent year now and again with with the breakers, they don't go very far in the playoffs. The entire school has 400 students, 200 boys, 200 girls. They're, you know, PG's getting killed by the numbers. They just don't have the student body to have a championship uh, football team year in and year out. Yeah, it's, it's funny when I go there to to pick my kids up at the school. You know, the you know the the bell will ring or whatever, and and a period ends, and here comes you know my son or my daughter or both of them some days, and it's pretty incredible because there's almost nobody else leaving campus. You know, it's like some of them go out the back way, I'm sure, but it's it's just incredible how uh, inactive. It is compared to when I went there. They, there was something like twelve hundred kids there when oh, I went more. there. For goodness sake, I, I, yeah. yeah. When that I got here, well, part, part of that part of that's got to do with the cost of housing. But let me get back real quick to Chris Dolman. Played seven seasons in the NFL for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. His son went to Stanford and also plays on the offensive line. Well, he's a center, mm-hmm. and uh, Chris Dolman was on the offensive line. And little known fact. It has actually been proven by IQ tests. I Googled it, and you can Google it too. Offensive linemen are considerably smarter on IQ tests, but if you on the basis of IQ tests, than the rest of the football team by by about twenty percent, they score about twenty percent better on IQ tests. <laughs> I'm not. I think that's probably because you know, I don't remember all the damn plays. <laughs> yeah. There is a, a trade-off, though. They don't they don't uh, do uh, tap dancing or clogging well. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but there are. I think I think their vertical but, leap is usually in the two to three inch <laughs> range. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting you mentioned that that one statistic about IQ and, and offensive linemen because if you think about it, you look around, you know, football whether it's college or professional, a disproportionate number of head coaches. Uh, have their roots in the offensive line, and oftentimes some That's of the best right. some of the best coaches are John Madden. Yeah, John Madden and Bill Parcells, offensive linemen. Yeah, they they are. They, yeah, they, it's strange how they're smart. They're they're big dudes, but they are a, a heady bunch. They're they're more likely, I guess, to read uh, philosophy. If you're going to catch someone reading a uh, you know an Italian uh, philosopher from the fifth century, it'll probably be someone from the offensive line on a football team. So it, last night, <laughs> if you missed it, it during one of the football games uh, at halftime, they showed a thing on John Madden and Daryl Stingley. I for saw those that. that don't Was that, that incredible? Yes. So Daryl Stingley, for those that weren't around or don't remember, uh, was paralyzed from the neck down when Jack Tatum. Uh, hit him really hard in a game and the story i'm not going to spoil the story i'm not that kind of guy so but go out i'm sure it's on youtube and everywhere else you look for uh john madden daryl stingley and watch that story and it will give you a whole nother level of respect for john madden yeah. it's just a, a spectacular story so I, and I watch i watched that as well last night dan and the thing that struck me as i watched it was and I remember that instant, but I had forgotten that it was in August. It was a preseason game in like 1977 or 78. And what's changed today is that when you watch the preseason games, you know, for the most part, the guys go at half speed. I mean, you know, yep. they don't do the kind of hitting that they do in the in in the regular season. But back in the 70s, the preseason games, I mean, those guys, they brought the wood. They, they, you know, mm-hmm. someone like Jack Tatum, he was going to play as hard as he could, whether it was a preseason game or it was a championship game. That's well, I think, just, I think the guys fighting for the for the uh, the first string, for, you know, fighting yeah, but, for their position might play a little harder. But. Well, yeah, but Tatum was a, a a longtime starter with the Raiders and an All Star. You know, he was right in the in the peak of his career at that time. Kind of like the Pro Bowl at yeah. that point. Hey, his nickname yeah, his nickname was the Assassin. Yeah, thank you very much. In fact, it was like he wrote a book called uh, They Called Me a Sabbath, if I remember correctly. If you guys want to do something entertaining, you should watch the um, the the Bullies of Baltimore, the, the documentary. I think it's on like Netflix or something. But one of the most entertaining, it's about their Super Bowl run um, a few years back. I think it was, year, it was like 2000 or something, so 23 years ago. And one of the most amusing characters in that is an offensive lineman who you may or may not know, but it's uh, Sony uh, Tony Saraguchi. Oh, Saraguchi. Yeah, he's a piece of work. Yeah, he was hilarious. But uh, yeah. and he's like the star of that documentary. He, he passed away, I believe, a couple of years ago. Correctly, I think. I yeah, think you're yeah, right. he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an announcer, a sideline reporter for a number of years. Hey, he well, would have been. You know, they should have cast him in The Sopranos. He would have been great. I mean, he, was, he just like, had all the. You know, Paul, <laughs> and I'm sure Dan remembers this, but. Um, uh, for whatever reason, Baltimore seems to end up with colorful linemen on offense and defense because there was a guy that played in the defensive line for the Baltimore uh, Colts back in the 50s, early 60s, named Art Donovan, 
who oh, was, yeah. he was <laughs> he would show up on the Tonight Show with Carson and tell yep. these hilarious stories about his time in the NFL, <laughs> you know, and he, he was really really entertaining. So uh, it was kind of a the football version of Yogi Berra, exactly. Yes, he uh, <laughs> was an offensive lineman. Of course, he was. No, he was. Yeah. This guy was a defensive lineman. Oh, defense. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. There goes my theory about offensive line. Damn it, Mark. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, there's Bell in Bringing it back to the news, apparently some uh, some drifter wandered into oh. PG Middle School or something. Do you know what do you, what do you know about that, Dan? Well, so uh, I want to say Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, a couple guys. Uh, wandered around the, the high school campus, then one or two of them ended up down at the middle school. And uh, nobody, the police and stuff, my understanding is, weren't, you know, didn't make contact. But then on Wednesday, one of them was back, and this time, school resource officer, uh, you know, and everybody communicated, got him. And, but he'd been arrested before, he, you know, multiple times, like 44 misdemeanors, I think, the Pinecone reported. Kelly Nix wrote a great story on it. Anybody that doesn't know the story, read it in the Pinecone because uh, it's good coverage. But it just shows how we have a revolving door. Uh, this guy could have had a, you know, could have been doing anything on those campuses. So they're, li- I still think, a little too open. But secondly, um, something needs to be done. There needs to be a resource officer at each school, something, you know, because to just have a uh, resource officer, I believe the school district pays for it, uh, and, and that goes between all the schools, you know, four schools, uh, just isn't really yeah. going to do it if there's a problem. Well, I'm going to give a very specific story, uh, Dan, about that. Is There was a guy, you may remember the story, he jumped the fence at the Naval Postgraduate School circa 2015, somewhere in there. And he jumped the fence and he went and stabbed a one of the auto port workers, one of the guys that works at the auto station, oh, right. at the gas station at the Naval Postgraduate School, you know, several times. He, like, he was working on a car and he just stabbed him from behind. He didn't kill him. And that guy... Um, I want to say it was 2019 or 2020 walked into my employment agency looking for a job. Oh. And I was like, and I'm like, oh. I was like, so you, you stabbed a dude four years ago. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. It, it, but he's out, you know, but he's out. like it's getting to your revolving door thing. Yeah. It's, it's confusing to me. Yeah. And we got uh Newsome that wants to close prisons and stuff. And it's like, no, you know, you might even look into building more. Because as much as I hate to say it, uh, there are people out on the streets that shouldn't be on the streets. And Ronald Reagan, I mean, this isn't a Democrat. Alone, uh, uh, yeah, the mental institution thing is awful. Yeah, he just, yeah. he just, you know, he said, oh, "Okay, everybody out of the mental institutions," and that screwed things up. It, there is no common sense in politics. It just does not exist. Well, that was actually in, in defense of Reagan. That was a state law that had been passed by the legislature, and they had yeah, to. But, yeah. They had to follow yeah. it, you know. On this story at PG, the thing about this that struck me as I read the story about this uh, kid, and by the way, this 28-year-old man who went on the campus, his name is Riley Elvin of Pacific Grove. Well, 
part of the problem is is that PG Unified, uh, the middle school and the high school are wide open. I mean, these schools were built many decades ago, but uh, they don't have the kind of security that you find at the high schools in Salinas. I'm going to tell you right now, you know, people, <laughs> people will say a lot of things about Salinas, you know, negative things about Salinas. But if you go over there and just try and get inside one of the high school campuses or any of the schools over there, I mean, they look like fortresses. And it's... It's an unfortunate thing to drive by like Alvarez or some of the other schools and to see how locked down they are. But they're trying to keep the kids safe. Here at Pacific Grove, I mean, I could park my car out on Sunset and walk right into the school. Yep. So you, one of the things, I, I, here's the thing, is, is when you think of all the money that the schools spend on stuff, why isn't the security of the staff and the students a higher priority at uh, the PG Middle School and the PG High School to really well, lock those places down. And hopefully people, like, they're, they're now, uh, they've just uh, uh, appropriated some money to do DEI stuff, training for uh, teachers and stuff. There's not a problem, kind of like MPC, not a problem, but we're going to nip this in the bud so there never is a problem kind of thing. And we're hey. just going to throw money at it. They spent $7 million dollars on the football stadium at PG High, like we're freaking Texas or something. And uh, just, what, a year, two years ago, after 10 years, they had to replace the track and the turf and because it was getting worn out, and that was over a million bucks. So you take 100000 a year that is costing to refurbish this crap and maybe spend it on having a school resource officer or somebody that's out there helping, keeping you know, people protected, and then you go do a fundraiser to do the field or something. Yeah. But this idiocy, and they also let everybody use that field. Everybody and their mothers out there playing games and having leagues, and they're coming over from other cities and everything else. And that kind of stuff, you know, again, there's no common sense, but we have a school board right now that I don't see doing a damn thing outside of, uh, for lack of a better word, and I know everybody's getting offended with this, or some people are, but the woke stuff. Mm-hmm. That's all they care about. They start every meeting now saying how how this meeting is held on land previously uh, controlled oh, by geez. the Indians, and they name off all the Indian. You know what, hey, uh, Dan, uh, what I want to do, I have, a, I have a Machiavellian plan. Yeah, I'm going to have to follow me on a, on a long journey here. But Pete Buttigieg, I think that's how you say his name. <laughs> yep. Whatever. He, he's, he is uh, proclaimed that certain highways are racist. Right? Oh, yeah. And that so to get some of the Build Back Better bridge and road money, you have to proclaim, you have to prove that your highway's racist. So I'm thinking Highway 68 is super racist because... <laughs> because Salinas people have to like sit in traffic all day, both ways, right? And then that's predominantly Hispanic. So clearly that highway is racist. However, comma, you also in the same law have to prove that it's good for the environment to, to spend money on the road. Now, if you widen 68 and you get this money from the government, you're probably doing the, the environment a disservice because you're allowing more people into the pristine, you know, um, Monterey Bay sanctuary. So they're moving faster, and then, and then the, the the NIMBY crowd, among which Dan can count himself, will also be against this. So I really want to watch. 
I just want to watch the snake eat its own tail. I want to propose the widening <laughs> of 68 for DEI reasons, and then I want to watch just the whole democratic philosophical like medley collapse under its own weight. It's it's just, and I want to just buy a pot. I don't really. I would like the the highway to be widened, but I just really want to see this happen so I can just grab some popcorn and watch these people just destroy themselves. Yep. Hey, I, uh, I said too much. I, I want to mention something, Dan here. Uh, he made the point about the artificial surface on the football field at PG High having to be replaced after 10 years. Those those artificial fields, a field turf, they have a, a shelf life of about 7 to 10 years, so you have to replace them every decade. And now, um, you know, folks that are anti-field turf or anti-astro turf, they are contending that there are uh, cancer-causing uh, substances right. and particles in the uh, in the building of those fields that uh, uh, are being ingested by is, participants and so forth. So <laughs> there is a move on More left-on-left crime yeah, right there. Yeah, I but there's it. a move on foot. In, there, guys, there's a move on foot in Sacramento to plas- pass legislation that would say that any public facility with these types of fields will have to replace them with a grass field. So... <laughs> they may end up, you know, having to put a grass field back in. At well, where are you going to get the water? Oh, where well, you know, water see, see and, and the thing, they tell you when they install these fields, well, this is going to save us so much money on groundskeeping and on, um, on watering mm-hmm. and so forth. But I can't believe that that's more than 100000 a year that they spend. You know what? Go, go to, uh, if you haven't recently, go to Robert Downs School. Uh, which is an elementary school in Pacific Grove, for those that don't know. And they have a field there that is never, never watered. And it's as green as green could be. They come out, the guy rides around before school starts so one day a week. I think it's Monday. Comes out, rides around the whole place. Beautiful just as beautiful as can be. They do nothing else but mow it once a week. That's all they do. So, and, well, the, and the PG Muni, the PG Muni golf course is pretty good grass as well. Uh, usually, in a but, I, but I do want to. I do want to say, uh, Dan, we I I work out occasionally at that field, and I do appreciate that people from other communities do use the field because they're just sitting fallow on the weekends. And I know you're big NIMBY, but yeah, let the let no, people play in the It's a financial thing. Paul, why does Pacific Grove, and this goes for my favorite pickleball or anything else, if myself or my family wants to go to Monterey and use the Monterey High School, can we play Uh, on their field? No, go to Monterey Sports Center. Do we get in free? No. You know, so you go to Salinas, do you think, you know, Mark was just talking about Salinas. You go to Salinas High, do you think the three of us can go over and just walk on their fields, play at their tennis courts, play pickleball at the high school anytime we want? The answer is no. So, and boy, do they have beautiful courts over there. A much I, yeah, I didn't know that. Actually, I, I, I'll be honest here. with you. I, I didn't know that. I thought you could go on to the like no. High or no. Marina High. No, you're seeing this. No, it's, it's like Mark was just saying. It's, you know, they lock the gates. I'm sorry. I apologize. So so what I'm saying here is we're paying for the wear and tear of other communities coming in. So that million dollars over 10 years 
which a lot of it's the running up and down of soccer players just about every night of the week when there's not football practice. The lights are on. That can't be cheap. And I really doubt they're reimbursing us. You know where you can go, though? I know this for a fact because I do it once a week. You can go to the Carmel High School field and get in for free. And uh, anybody can go there. So. There's that. Yeah, but but are they changing every 10 years? And let let them go over there. Do they have soccer uh, goals? I yeah, I don't know if they allow soccer. I know that the, the lights may never be turned on, but uh, the... Uh, oh, no, yeah, I, I believe they're, they're, they're going to be now. I believe it's uh, the people drop their... Uh, so let's, let's talk about something a little more uplifting. Apparently, a man named John Harris, a 39-year-old, uh, started punching and stabbing someone in front of the Delray Oaks Safeway. Heard That's all I know about this. Yeah, he's, he's probably <laughs> one of the, um, you know, how what do they call them? Uh, unhoused people that live in the park across the street. <laughs> yeah, get the right phrase. Yeah. No, that's, what, what do people think is going to happen with over 3 million people with almost no skills that most of whom don't speak English that have come over the borders in the past couple years? And again, this is not a NIMBY thing or, you know, you can't come to America. You come to the United States in a certain way. And with certain skills, one of them to be that you can at least understand English to a certain extent. Because our uh, schools, especially in California, that already suck, are now even going to be worse. Because you literally are going to have to teach to 150 different countries, which my guess is probably roughly, what, maybe 30 different languages that that are going to settle in cities... Most Dan, of them need the city services. Then the good news is that um, we're not going to have a power grid to support them. So, so people <laughs> won't want to move to California because we won't have any electricity. Because we'll be we'll have had our head up our own you know what's for so long <laughs> about this whole green thing that well we won't have any energy. So it'll be perfect. A picture of Kamala Harris cook, cooking uh, or having uh, Thanksgiving dinner and standing with her husband by this. Uh, her stove at her house, and it's a gas stove. So here we got the Biden administration telling us all we got to get rid of our gas appliances, and there's the vice president who has a damn gas stove in her own house. Freaking hip, hip gas, gas stoves are, are beautiful. I uh, yeah, I do. I do gas stove. They're better than electric because we're we're here. You know, when we go to different places and they have electric stoves, they're just not quite. Yeah. What do you think, Mark? Are you more gas or electric? I'm more of a gas guy. Hey, I was. I wanted to know if you um, wanted to jump into this uh, story about an initiative that would limit sequa suits. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, tell me more. I didn't know. Okay, this, so this so there's a guy named Stephen Hilton uh, who um, is trying to get a a um, a proposition in the ballot in 24 that we would vote on that would restrict the ability to bring CEQA lawsuits to only uh, government agencies. In other words, you got to be the DA or a legislator or something like that. He said state legislators um, already exempt some housing developments and order community benefit projects from the CEQA, but a proposed ballot measure would prevent private individuals and groups from filing CEQA-based lawsuits challenging new housing. 
It would also Ooh. cap the fees associated with home building, all with the idea of promoting affordable home ownership in a state where strict environmental laws have been a major contributor to the housing shortage. So this is uh, proposed by Stephen Hilton, who represents a group called Golden Together, and the measure would allow only district attorneys and the California Attorney General's office to sue builders based on alleged violations of environmental law. And, that is genius. Yeah. That, you're cutting them off at their knees. Well, I, yeah, because I, see, I one, of the things, one of the things yeah. that he says that is, um, you know, uh, you know, courts have begun to recognize that while CEQA was originally intended to protect the environment, it has been manipulated to be a formidable tool of obstruction, particularly against projects that will increase housing. And he makes the point that um, oftentimes the people that are behind the CEQA lawsuits never have to identify themselves. Like they'll come up, you know, like helping our yeah, peninsula's yeah, environment. Like some organization famous for that. Yeah. Or, or like, well, everybody knows who's behind Landwatch, but like you say, like you get a group called hope, like helping our peninsula's environment. And, and and I'm not using them as an example of, of, uh, you know, a group that doesn't identify their members, but you oftentimes uh, find that there are organizations with these acronym names and uh, there's no registration as to, well, you know, who are the actual people behind this with the money, you know, pushing this? And, um, and they've been very effective in bottling a lot of stuff up. Well, personally, I, I, I think, uh, for what, what my personal opinions were, I think that everything should be local. Um, this whole thing where Sacramento last year, what was it? Uh, when John Laird was over in Carmel, were you there, Mark? There was some absurd amount, like 56 bills were last year were passed concerning, you know, housing and rent control and things like that. It just, you know, the involvement of Sacramento as to what happens, for instance, on the Monterey Peninsula, and even Laird said, oh, well, you know, it's a political thing. Plus, yeah, it's a political thing. So why do you vote for this crap? And he and he picks like one that he voted against. You know, it's like yeah, John, but you voted for the other fifty-five, right? So right. you know, in in everything, every bit of government, you know, if you look at building a house or buying a house, and you buy or build a house that's worth a million bucks, you right out of the chute are paying ten grand a year just on property taxes mm -hmm. so you've just spent your 50 or 60 grand for all your permits and everything maybe more for water and now you got to pay 10 grand a year in property taxes and that's if you only have a fixture upper in, in uh, pacific grove that costs a million bucks right. it's just absurd what government is sucking out of us because it's not just the property taxes it's the 10 you know almost 10 percent when you go and uh, buy something right you know it's just a, you know the government and people don't realize this so the study used to be done every year and now i think they're up to somewhere in july that you work every year to pay the government for them to exist right you know so over half the time you're working you're working for the government. 
you know, and, and so, and then if you're self-employed and you're given 15% for social security, you know, it's just crazy what government's costing and it's not getting any better, nor is it going to get better as long as, you know, they just keep spending money. And I don't, the problem too here is, and, and I like the sequel idea to an extent, you know, but uh, again, my feeling is if you're a city or a county or whatever, you know, a small local entity, you have to figure out just how big, but uh, you should have uh, control here. You know, I, you know, the people of Pacific Grove should be able to say what they want size-wise, develop-wise, and stuff. And the concept that anything's going to be cheaper is blowing out the doors. In Pacific Grove, you can just see the condominiums that have gone up. Condominiums at two and three million dollars. Yeah, so you know Debbie Beck fairly well, Dan, sir. Like, those... I can't believe the condos at the new development and then at the Holman as well. They're going from two point five to three point five million. You know, I've seen her ads. It's like, how are those things selling? They've got to be second homes to rich people. They, in the they sold. Yeah. They sold all the ones in Holman. They're still having, uh, you know, tr- uh, selling five twenty uh, lighthouse there. And with the hotel going up, I don't know anybody that's going to be buying the. Uh, not for like 2.5 Congress. million. 2.5 million. It's like yep. you could buy a house on the ocean for almost yeah, that much. Yeah, exactly. You can get a house in Pebble Beach for that much. Might not it'd be a fixer-upper, but uh, yeah. you, know, you can buy a house in Pebble Beach. Hey, um, you don't have well, HOAs. Yeah, yeah, last thing on this CEQA, uh, this proposal for this uh, prop, um, to get the uh, initiative on the ballot, they need to collect half a million signatures by May 13th of 2024 to get it on the November 2024 ballot you know it would i think it could do a lot of good if they if they were able to do that i don't think it'll affect monterey county or at least the coastal zone of monterey county very much because we've got i mean the the environmentalists have the water or the the anti-growth people have the water lever to pull which i i think that's an almost like an impenetrable wall because if you don't have the water you can't build and I don't see getting around the water credit system because the Monterey County Water District is, or the Monterey, what is it, the Monterey Peninsula Water District um, is just getting more and more powerful. And I, I don't, I can't see them dissolving. Like we, we're going to develop a water solution, and then they're going to dissolve the water district or something. They're going to, they're basically can can be locked in a battle with Calam for the next ten years. They'll try to privatize Calam. And who knows how that'll turn out? I I think as far as Monterey County is concerned, I don't think this is going to be an issue. But I think places like Santa Cruz or maybe going north to like Half Moon Bay or south of Moral Bay, I think those places could really benefit. And in going down to Santa Barbara and Ventura and those places could probably really benefit um, from this this action, places where the water isn't as big of an issue. Was it the weekly or someone this past week had a story about uh, the harmful things have been found in the water on the Monterey Peninsula. And, oh, you flush! Uh, you imagine all the drugs that are being flushed into the oh, recycled yeah. water. I, I do Come not on. drink water out of the tap. No, I, I haven't for literally fifty years, yeah. and uh, and I won't now because everything keeps coming out, and it's not good. Uh, I don't care what reverse osmosis filter you're using. Yeah. There are things that people are taking, like all the drugs that are being prescribed. 
you don't know what's coming through what can make it through those reverse osmosis filters you know and they're not testing for that stuff no nope. i don't know i mean maybe i'm a tinfoil hat wearer but i i pfas I don't know. there's a lot of pfas in the water apparently yeah um yeah. one kind con- yeah it says here this is a story that's also in the uh, pine cone below the fold by kelly nix the epa released data that's earlier rough. this month on 3200 water systems in the u.s of those 854, including Calam on the peninsula, contain at least one compound above the EPA's reporting levels. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, but we have what? What was it? Seven or something? Yeah. So even, here's the thing: is even even if you drink bottled water, you probably don't use bottled water For to sure. bathe in. So yep. you're absorbing well, it anyway when you take a shower. The amount of coffee and tea that my wife and I drink, we're probably we're going to die in a two-year yeah. period. Hey guys, I'm I'm running real short on time here because of some stuff I got to get ready to do for that ball game. But last thing I wanted to mention, if we could just touch on for a second here, is that Carmel may use the coastal, the California Coastal Act, to fight the state's new housing mandates. And one of the things that they're intending is that within the coastal act. They believe that they find language that allows them, what the city wants to do is to say that if your lot allows an 1,800 square foot home, you can't build an ADU because if you're going to build an ADU, it has to count against the building limit. It can't be in excess of the building limit. So if your limit is, is 1,800 square feet and you have a 1,000 square foot home, you could build an 800 foot ADU. But if you're at 1,800 feet or you're at 14 and the limit is 18, then you can only do 400. And they believe that that is a legal interpretation of their understanding of the Coastal Act. And they're talking about using that as a means uh, of uh, against having to add these 400 residences that the um, the state wants uh, Carmel to add. I thought that was a fascinating argument. Yeah, you said it very well, Mark. And I'm wondering what will happen to people who have already built ADUs. Are they oh, you won't be able to do a darn thing to them. But the thing is, how did we get this far along without this being brought up? You know, everybody just rolled over. Oh, we'll do that. We'll do this thing. Pacific Grove, for goodness sake, is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to have somebody come up with what's so far been inferior uh, ideas as to how we're going to meet the numbers. Knowing full well we cannot meet the numbers, basically no matter what, unless you put 20 stories up on Mission Linen or something. And this is almost every community on the coast, and everybody till Carmel steps up and says, wait a second, also Pacific Grove is a charter city, should be able to say, hey, we're a charter city. You know, you can't come in and tell us what to do. Charter cities are different than, than general cities. Right. And, but everybody sits on their hands and accepts what it is that Sacramento tells them to do. And it, it's just absurd. More we, power to Carmel. Love seeing it. You know, step maybe, up. We need better. Well, maybe we need better city attorneys, uh, Dan. <laughs> well, oftentimes but you need councils but, yeah. that are, are willing to not roll over. They do it on workman's comp cases. They do it on you know every time somebody says boo or they slip and fall or whatever they settle. People don't know how many things are settled by cities and city councils. 
without ever basically being public. Right. You know, because that's it's done in closed session. Yep. And it's absurd well, how much money goes out to people just for slip and fall and, and other I, reasons. I agree with you, Dan, and I want to say on Mark's behalf, go Palma, because I know he's got to go. <laughs> go Palma. Right. Hey, guys, thanks very much. It's been a lot of fun today. Paul, you want to do the yeah, always fun, always fun. Yeah, go to what's Take the plan monterey.com. What's the plan monterey.com, and you'll hear more from Paul, Mark, and Dan, and we'll see you again next week. Take care.